Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio, or CWTR, as it is sometimes abbreviated. The problem with that is it sounds too much like CWRT, and everyone knows that stands for Civil War Roundtable. Civil War Roundtables have been around much longer than talk radio, back to the 1930s or earlier. We'll find out a little bit about the history of the Civil War Roundtable movement and where it stands today from Matt Borowick this evening on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you tonight from the third floor of the Brewster Building, where it's daylight, daylight savings time has started, uh, here on the campus of East Carolina University, not representing the university or the campus or anything that's going on out in the courtyard, just speaking for myself, as guests always do likewise on the show. Uh, 
It is a Wednesday evening in March of 2018. Because of the clock change, it's not so dark outside uh, as it is as it was the last month when we started the show. There was no live show last week, as uh, many of you listeners, uh, if you're listening more or less up to date, might be aware it was spring break here at East Carolina University, and so everyone was off campus, and I took the opportunity to work on my uh, tournament bracket. No, I couldn't do that. That wasn't. We didn't know the teams yet last week. Uh, what I actually did during spring break, uh, I should say this because if you've listened to the show for a while, at some point you've heard me say something about the, the academic foolishness, administrative foolishness at, at East Carolina University. It happens at any place, any other university as well. But sometimes uh, we get something right. Um, didn't get the athletic director right, for example, recently fired our current one. Uh, we'll be trying again with that. But some things once in a while actually do work. And one of them happened over spring break. The uh, writing program, which is run on a shoestring, has like one full-time, one part-time person running it for all 29,000 students and however many faculty we are, and put on a retreat for faculty to go to a church camp on the coast of North Carolina, the same one that the department chairs used to use for a, an overnight retreat once a year that I attended when I was history department chair. Uh, so I'd been there before. It's, a, it's quite a Spartan sort of uh, setting. The, the rooms are relatively barren, but nice, nice, clean enough. And you don't go for the rooms you go because it's near the dunes and the beach and it's quiet and, and nature-filled. So uh, they put on a retreat. If your department was willing to pay, and it wasn't very much uh, from department funds, and I went, uh, there were about 15 other faculty who went, and I was actually able to get started writing uh, a book about Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln in American Memory, much like Merrill Peterson's classic of the 1990s. Uh, I've been asked to write a shorter updated version on the same topic uh, for Southern Illinois University Press. And I've been just sitting on this project for months, trying to get get inspired. And it, it was this, this did the trick, just being out there in a room with 10 other people all hunched over their keyboards, writing furiously, or sitting back and looking out the window, which is often the hardest part of writing, convincing other people that you're working when you're just sitting and looking out the window. I, I didn't invent that. Someone, I'm quoting someone who, who said that's the hardest part of being a writer. Uh, and he or she was right. People must interrupt you when you're just looking out the window doing nothing. But in fact, that's that's part of the work. And so it was a uh, great opportunity to be able to do that at leisure and look out the window and, and write. And I got thousands of words written in a few days. It, it was uh, didn't cost much. It was a good investment in academic productivity. So ECU gets something right once in a while. That was one of them. Uh, they got something else right on campus recently. Uh, this past week, all these really bright green bicycles have appeared all over campus. Uh, it, Apparently, is an operation called Lime Bike, which has an app on the phone, and I went and downloaded it. And you can walk up to these bikes and take a picture of its number with your phone, and it 
registers you get the bike and it, it opens it up electronically and you can ride it around campus for a dollar and then just leave it wherever you want you don't have to find a docking station or something special just just drop it anywhere and turn it off i'm, I'm sound like a commercial for it but i've thought for over a decade i'd love to have a bicycle on this campus to get to the library it's almost a mile seems like a mile away uh and now i have one uh, i don't have to buy it i can just ride it and drop it off uh so and it's working. People are riding these green bikes all over the place. So two things, two points for ECU this week. Uh, in Civil War history, and that is why perhaps a few of you are actually listening, a fascinating story came across the news this week about a magnificent piece of furniture crafted to memorialize the, the Civil War. You may have seen this. I think it was in the New York Times, uh, given to family of uh, Civil War veterans from the 1870s, and it's been in a museum and on proud display for some time. Someone paid a lot of money for it. And it turns out to be a modern forgery. Someone, a woodworker, just designed this piece of furniture to look like something memorializing the Civil War. And uh, the museum that bought it fell for it, and people have been believing it for all this time, and it turns out to be a fake. Uh, it really hit close to home as a former museum person myself. And as someone working right now with students on a museum exhibit about a Second World War naval aviator from the nearby town of Farmville, that project, I will say, has been just an inspiration. The students, uh, two of them spent their spring break traveling to the USS Cowpens Museum in South Carolina, another one to the Naval uh, Aviation Museum in Pensacola where they spent days in the archives looking for information related to the guy we're, we're doing our exhibit about. Um, the students are really committed to it and coming up with amazing photos and uh, journals kept by the guy's squadron mates, all kinds of uh, really interesting stuff. Makes one uh, remind you why you, why you teach when, when students get so engaged in a project as they are in this one and come up with such interesting material I'm very excited to see how this exhibit is going to come together. And uh, one last thing before we get to our guest, I can't put that off. Uh, donations to Civil War Talk Radio are always welcome. You can find a PayPal donation button on the website www.impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney runs that site. tells you who's going to be on next. You can find out who the next people are. Next week, for example, we have, uh, who do we have? Let's look at the website, and he'll tell me. Um, next week, it's uh, Michael Fitzgerald, who has written a book about uh, Alabama and the Civil War and afterward. Following week, James S. Pula has the first of two volumes on the 11th Corps, the Army of the Potomac. This one takes the story up through Chancellorsville, uh, the part everyone knows about that unfortunate unit. On April 4th, we'll have a different kind of guest. Brian Downey is a webmaster who has produced a remarkable site called Antietam on the Web. And if you haven't seen it, go look at it. And then we'll go to Kentucky for a couple weeks. William Penn is the author of Kentucky Rebel Town. Uh, he'll be talking about the battles of Cynthiana and Harrison County. He'll have with him Daryl Smith of the Cynthiana Battlefields Foundation. And we'll find out where Cynthiana is and what happened there. And then on April 18th, Barry Craig, 
uh, we'll talk about the secession crisis in Kentucky, in particular the role the press played. His book is called Kentucky's Rebel Press, Pro-Confederate Media and the Secession Crisis. So a month of good shows ahead uh, and a good one this evening. Matt Borowick joins us once again. He is a longtime uh, friend of the show and was on once before to talk about Civil War roundtables, and he's back tonight. Uh, Matt, are you there? Jerry, I am. It's great to be back with you again. Well, welcome back. I, you know, when, when we were emailing about doing another show, I thought, well, yeah, it's about time. He was on a couple of years ago. And I looked at the calendar, and it was 2008. It was 10 years ago. Uh, that does <laughs> a lot not of seem possible. Then, hasn't it? It, well, well, that's what I want to find out. Uh, uh, certainly, a lot has changed in in our lives. I'm sure yours and, and mine as well. But uh, what's going on in in the Civil War roundtable world? It, it's uh, for for people who haven't heard the first show and don't have one in their neighborhood. Uh, tell us a little bit about what why you know about Civil War roundtables. What's your role in the Sure, yes, absolutely, uh, Jerry. Well, Civil War Roundtables have been around, as you noted, since about uh, 1940 or so. And the first one was created in Chicago, and they re- keep the name today of the Civil War Roundtable. And my suspicion is they've earned that being the first Civil War Roundtable. And what Civil War Roundtables started out as were literally groups of folks sitting around a table and discussing the American Civil War. And they debated it, they discussed it, and in some cases uh, verbally perhaps refought it. And those Civil War roundtables have grown over the years and gone not only national, but international. And so we see them in places as far away as Germany, as England, as Australia, and so on. Because people, again, remain interested and fascinated by the American Civil War. Now, the great thing is, is that these are really homegrown and grassroots organizations. People with an interest in the Civil War start Civil War roundtables, and there are thousands of them around the world. The difficult part about it is there's no overriding governing organization. There's no guiding organization. These are exactly what I mentioned, which are grassroots organizations. They are people that have an interest in the war that get together to discuss the Civil War. Some do it very well and some not so well. So they keep the, the interest burning in the American Civil War. But part of it, Jerry, is uh, we want to help them do a better job of doing their work in roundtables. You mentioned the international angle, and I'm, I'm just curious about that. I, I know the uh, the UK has a very active movement, and they have an, a newsletter that's one of the longer and more detailed ones with that uh, publishes new research regularly. What uh, what what's the state of, of international interest uh, as reflected in roundtables that you're seeing? Well, I continue to see a a continued interest in that around the world, and I think the U.K. is probably a good example, not only because of our country's heritage with them, but because of the nature of Confederate ships making their way over there, uh, certainly to the the colony uh, of Bermuda at the time. So there were a lot of ties between England and the Civil War. Uh, both at the time of the war and uh, those remain today. So I think a lot of people in England just have an interest in the war because it also, to a degree, hit home for them too. 
And I, I think also, as we all see, both yourself and your listeners, it's just an incredibly fascinating period of not only American history, but world history. And so we see international Civil War roundtables continue to draw great interest from people who are just fascinated by the American Civil War saga. What, um, we'll, we'll take a break here in just a minute, uh, but as we step up to that, what's the, what's the most remote uh, roundtable that you're aware of? I've found uh, from mm-hmm. uh, here in New Jersey is one in Australia that I interviewed a few years ago. And uh, we can talk a, a bit more about the Civil War news and the roundtable columns that they feature in there that do get at helping roundtables do better what they do and sharing best practices among them. So they're, they're all over the world. They have different uh, angles that, that draw them into their study of the Civil War. And uh, the overarching question, the one we definitely want to uh, lead into as we go to our, our second session, is, is the one of, of improvement. Uh, it, it was surprising to me to realize, I, I, you know, we talked about it last time on the show, and, and I've talked to others since that that there is no overarching governance for roundtables. That for most of the what's it what it's been now sixty years, seventy years of their history, they've all been, as you said, grassroots organizations operating on their own hook. Uh, and only now are we starting to see this cooperation. So we'll take a short break. We'll come back and talk more with our guest Matt Borowick on the subject of Civil War roundtables around the world and around the country. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Matt Borowick on the subject of Civil War Roundtables. Matt, you have written about Civil War Roundtables, your your official correspondent um well what what is your how do you define your your title or role uh, in regard to these organizations well jerry i would say i'm an idea sharer and uh what where i say that from is that years ago i've been a member of a civil war roundtable in new jersey since 1992 and that's where i first got started in the civil war roundtable experience and and movement and have enjoyed that and saw that there were a lot of things our group was doing very well thanks to a very dynamic and active leader uh, named Jay Jorgensen who was the founder of that roundtable. But over time what I also came to see is I went and was invited to speak at other roundtables about uh, the Battle of Second Manassas and some things around that battle was that the efforts of the roundtables were very disjointed. And some, again, wor- worked their, their business very well, and some not so well. So about 10 years ago, I approached the then publisher of the news, Kay Jorgensen, and, and gave her the, the request that I do a column in the Civil War News about roundtables. And the purpose of it would be to share best practices by interviewing roundtables around the country and around the world about what do they do well with the thought that other roundtables looking to solve some of the same problems can read those articles and learn from those roundtables and improve their work and their business. So the whole goal of that, Jerry, the whole goal of the the column in the Civil War News was to share best practices among roundtables, among the roundtable leaders in the roundtable community, to make roundtables stronger so they continue to grow and expand. And I then, a few years later, turned those columns into a book, which then kind of summarizes all those great ideas that these roundtables have around the world. And and let's get that title of the book out there for, for our listeners. It's, yep, it's the Civil War Roundtable Handbook. It is available on Amazon. It is only available electronically, but it is available on Amazon. 
uh, and it is uh, the Civil War Roundtable Handbook. And, and again, just a compilation of about 100 pages of great ideas for people that are running roundtables, that are members of roundtables, and even nonprofits in general. The book talks about everything from recruiting members to marketing yourself, to using social media, to setting up your governance and finances. So again, it's all designed to provide good ideas and best practices to people that run these very grassroots organizations that without the right guidance and the right effort really can wind up floundering. Well, that that is true of so many nonprofits uh, related to history and probably related to any topic. I know uh, in my experience in the museum world, it's not uncommon to have people with a real passion for history and maybe a few artifacts around the house and, and some friends in a similar situation to decide we've got enough here to make a community museum. Uh, the It's the, uh, my uncle has a barn, uh, we can put on a show kind of spirit that uh, causes people to organize and create a local museum with no idea how to organize themselves in terms of governance, in terms of a financial structure, in, in terms of, of anything, any idea what the costs are going to be to actually run such an institution. And inevitably, it, it doesn't go well. Uh, not inevitably. Sometimes it fights through and, and succeeds. But most of the time, it, it needs a larger partner or something else. Uh, have you seen Civil War roundtables come and go in this sense, where someone thinks it's a great idea, three friends start it up, one of them moves away, another one gets too old to participate, and suddenly it's gone? Jerry, absolutely. We have seen it where those examples have gone on to start up and then to fold after a few months or even years, and others that went in a dramatically different direction. The key with all of these is they really do start, as you kind of mentioned, these are just generally friends with a shared interest in the Civil War. They get together. They decide they want to meet and talk about the war. They find more people with a shared interest. The next thing you know, your group of three or five is a group of 12 or 15. You're starting to formalize. You start to put together monthly meetings. Well, now you have to find speakers for those meetings. And then you find that once you've exhausted all the local Civil War experts, there comes a cost because people from farther away, you need to reimburse them for their travel or, or, or treat them to a dinner the evening that they come out to see you or for even other speakers, there may be additional travel expenses. So as you noted, they become more complex organizations. There's a demand for social media. There's a demand for a website. There's a demand for a newsletter and mailings, all these things add up to additional costs. And so it begins to beg the questions for roundtable leaders. How do we finance it? How do we pay for it? What dues do we charge? Will dues drive away people? Will they attract people? Well, dues we know will give us revenues, which will in many cases allow us to attract some higher profile speakers, which in turn will attract more members, which will again lead to more revenues. So, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to accomplish with the, the column and a no, another new initiative that we just started uh, with some other folks last year is to promote the sharing of those best practices. So the column is one way, the book is another, but the next part of it, Jerry, is something we did last year in Manassas, Virginia, and that we're planning for Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is bringing back the notion of a Civil War Roundtable Congress 
a gathering of roundtables from around the country to share those best, best practices, not through a column, not through a book, but in person with each other. And I think it's one of the newest and most exciting things going on in the roundtable community. Now, I remember talking about that with you last year. I think it was September when, when you held this event, and uh, I, I announced it regularly here on, on Civil War Talk Radio, wanted Thank to make you. people aware of it. And uh, so my, my that's really what I think got us back together for this show, was the chance for me to ask you, uh, what came of that? Uh, you, you've mentioned best practices. Can you give an example of something that came out of the Congress where half the people there slapped their foreheads and said, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> Absolutely. So what we did was, interestingly enough, last year, the Congress was held in, uh, again, in Centerville, Virginia, just five miles from the Manassas battlefield. And it all came together, much like roundtables do, through a grassroots effort. A gentleman named Mike Movius. Mike is the president mm-hmm. of the Puget Sound Civil War Roundtable out on the West Coast. Mike had read some of my columns, had purchased my book, and said I, I, you know, that he really wanted to share some ideas like that with other roundtables. At the same time he was thinking of that, Wally Rickle down at the Brunswick, North Carolina Civil War Roundtable, a thousand members, by the way, largest one I've ever found, was thinking along the same lines. We recruited a few other speakers, someone from John Bamborough, from Scottsdale, Arizona, and a couple others, who all came together in a day-long session where they each presented things that made their round tables stronger and better. And the kind of, as you mentioned, what was some of the aha moments, I think, to John Bamberle's presentation, where he had 18 low-cost ways to promote your roundtable. Things like placing a free ad in the newspapers that allow that for nonprofits, posting flyers at the municipal building in town, and doing things like that, that they take some effort with your time, but really are doable for roundtables that are on a budget. Another thing that resonated with, with people that John mentioned was anyone who didn't renew their dues, he would call them and say, hey, Jerry, so you didn't renew your dues. You know, can, you know, can we ask you to reconsider? And he said he had an almost 50% return rate of those people that he called. So again, things like that that take effort, they're low cost financially, but they take effort. But it also helped John increase his roundtable from about 50 people to over 400 members today. Wow. You mentioned the Brunswick, uh, North Carolina roundtable, and that's one that is in my notes here to ask you about. I've, uh, I've, I've spoken to Puget Sound one, and they're a wonderful group, and I've maintained contact with Mike Movius and others there over the years uh, since then, and uh, spoken to many around the country, and they, they do fall into every angle of the spectrum you've been talking about, uh, from the ones who've invited me to travel a long distance, and on the assumption that I would do that on my own dime and stay somewhere on my own dime and come home, which I, I don't mind. I mean, I love talking about the Civil War. It's what I do, but uh, but I've got a job. I've got a family. I can't just take two days off of work and go talk to your group <laughs> right. uh, for nothing. Uh, I think it's the Low Country Roundtable in, in Georgia that 
makes a point we don't pay an honorarium, but we donate to the Civil War Trust or some other organization on your behalf uh, a, a, a meaningful sum. Uh, so it's not that I have to get paid to, to talk to a group, but they have to show they're serious uh, if they want someone to come from a long distance. And that's another way to do it. But Brunswick, um, um, a thousand people. I, I, I have spoken there and just it's amazing. Uh, so what's their secret? Jerry, their secret is <laughs> some really good marketing, but more importantly, some really great leadership. I had the opportunity to feature them not once but twice in the Civil War news column. And like you, I had the opportunity to go down and, and speak to that, uh, that group. And I think for them, it was an off night, and they had about 300 people show up. <laughs> so um, they are incredibly successful. But again, for them, it's doing a lot of advertising, a lot of the leadership going out and talking to community groups about their programs. And then the other thing is, I think that they have stewarded their resources effectively. If you think about it, you know, a thousand members at say roughly $25 dues each gives them quite a bit of money to work with to do the things that you talked about in terms of inviting well-known, much desired Civil War experts to come see them. And while they may not pay a stipend for the person's time, they do what I believe should be done for people traveling the distance, which is travel reimbursement. And that's just a nice way of saying, as you noted too, that they're serious about having the speakers come because I, I believe too that the round table has an obligation to be a good host to people that are traveling from a distance to come out and share their expertise. Now, one thing that, that the Brunswick Roundtable has in its favor is demographics. Uh, I'm reading an unrelated website about North Carolina communities, and they are one of the fastest growing uh, ones. The I forgot the name of the county now, uh, but they're 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 one of the fastest growing. They have more municipalities, I think, than any other North Carolina uh, county, and they border on South Carolina and are actually part of the uh, the metropolitan Myrtle Beach metropolitan area instead of Wilmington now. But the the point is, they're on the coast. Uh, people retire there. People who can afford to retire to nice large beach homes live there, so they can have. They have a community with both leisure time and funds to support their leisure activities, and not every area has that. No, they don't. But I think what even in a situation like that, the you know the roundtable itself can be, competes against other organizations, both nonprofit and for profit, for those mm-hmm. retirees' time. And dollars, and so in, even with that, the Brunswick Roundtable has kind of stood out and attracted people. I think one of the other things they do, Jerry, is the Brunswick Roundtable has done a wonderful job of attracting a significant number of women interested in the Civil War period. And one of the ways they did that was they would have their regularly scheduled meetings, but then their women members would get together to discuss women aspects of the Civil War, famous women from the war and and how the war affected women and so on. So much so that that then morphed into some of their regular presentations are women 
focused. And so what's nice from an attendance and a membership standpoint for some members, it's a couple's night out. They go out and they have dinner and they're treated to a good talk on the Civil War and share some social time with people that they have a shared interest in. So I think they've made good use of the demographics of their market. And you mentioned the word community. Having been there, as you have too, I think you saw there's a really nice sense of community there too. And so people look to be part of organizations like the Brunswick Civil War Roundtable. They, they do. Another roundtable that I spoke to in the last uh, year or so that impressed me with its, uh, I'll use the word aggressive leadership, is the one in Augusta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll take another break shortly, so I'll set this up here. Uh, this also ties in with your, your comment about women being a often underrepresented in roundtables and that Brunswick makes a real effort to uh, uh, to get get beyond that and, and be more inclusive. Uh, a woman runs the uh, Augusta, Georgia roundtable and she explained to me in very clear terms that when she took it over, uh, it was a f- basically a failing enterprise and she whipped that group into shape and made their meetings the place to be. And when I spoke, it was a large ballroom filled with people. Uh, it, it's a far cry from the, the five people in the library meeting room that you see in some places. So when we come back, uh, I'll ask your thoughts about uh, how that worked out and, and uh, talk more about the question of inclusiveness as well in, in roundtables in the Civil War community generally. We're talking today with Matt Borowick, who has written the Civil War Roundtable Handbook, a uh, columnist for Civil War News at one time on the subject, and a uh, general idea person on the topic of Civil War Roundtables. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. 
dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Matt Borwick, who is an expert in the Civil War Roundtable movement, has written the Civil War Roundtable Handbook, uh, an e-book available on Amazon, and uh, has organized a Roundtable Congress that met last year in 20, September of 2017 and uh, is organizing one to meet in the, the year ahead, 2018, uh, to allow these organizations, these groups of people who just like to get together and usually invite a speaker or to talk about the Civil War, and then they ask questions, and maybe beforehand they have a snack or they go out to dinner after or otherwise enjoy community as well as Civil War history exchange. Uh, so, Matt, we, I was mentioning the Augusta Civil War uh, Roundtable group where it was run uh, uh, far more tightly than any uh, any other one I've ever been involved in. Uh, it was not simply, uh, you know, come on down and give us a talk, but uh, the, the marching orders were quite clear. Uh, did, have you spoken to that group? I did about a year ago, and I will tell you, Jerry, it was a fantastic experience. In fact, I, I did a write-up, uh, a column on the Augusta Civil War Roundtable after I visited with them, and I started off the column by essentially saying, I've spoken at a lot of Civil War roundtables, but I had never before spoken at a Gwen Fulcher Young Civil War roundtable. And she is the president of the Augusta roundtable. And as you noted, she runs a very tight ship and their success is a result of the way she runs things. No question about that. The among other things, keeping speakers on a time budget. Uh, when you're told you have 40 minutes to speak, uh, we've all been at meetings where someone just feels free to go over that, even when there are two speakers and they take up someone else's time, uh, just out of sheer carelessness. I find it incredibly unprofessional, and, and I'm always dismayed when it happens, and I really try not to do it. But at uh, as you said, when Gwen Fulcher Young is running the show, you're told 40 minutes, and by golly, you're done at 39 minutes and 45 seconds or else. Uh, no, you're not going to make that mistake twice. Uh, but but beyond that, uh, the whole evening was run uh, tightly. Uh, I'll say even to the extent that part of what makes a roundtable characteristic is the sharing of questions and answers. Uh, of, of challenges, I, I love it when a, a, someone in the audience challenges something I've said. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to engage and, and push back and find out maybe they know evidence I don't know or they've got a perspective I've never considered. That's what it's all about. Um, it's possible, I think, to be a little too regimented where people are afraid to ask that kind of question. Uh, but I don't want to pick on one particular example. I just maybe a better direction is to say, uh, is that not one of the strengths of the roundtable movement that 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 the audience gets engaged and asks questions? It absolutely is, and you know it harkens back to the original intent of roundtables when the groups were smaller and people sat and debated face to face the war and its implications. So the question and answer sessions are very important to the whole notion 
of Civil War roundtables. And, you know, it was interesting, my experience at Augusta, uh, Gwen herself has uh, a noted background in television, and so she's used to being in front of audiences, clearly mm-hmm. very comfortable doing that, but even more so the leadership aspect of the way the meeting was put together. A couple things that I think serve as good lessons for other roundtables. Here you have two, three, four hundred people gathering on a monthly basis for their civil or roundtable meeting. And what does Augusta do? They have it at one of Goodwill Industries uh, banquet centers. And what that does is Goodwill Industries works to provide people that otherwise might not have job opportunities with such opportunities. So the food preparation and the food service is all part of an educational system that Goodwill has developed in and at these facilities. So you have a nonprofit roundtable partnering with another nonprofit to not only do a good educational deed in the civil war community, but to do a good social and economic deed. Speaking of community with the Augusta Roundtable, one other thing that struck me was, you know how often we'll go to events and people will pull out the napkins or tip the chair and so on to kind of stake their claim and say, here are the five seats or the seven seats at the table that are for me and my friends. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to promote greater community in the Augusta Roundtable, what they do is they had handed out a sign, which I kept a souvenir of, saying, this is my seat, and people are allowed to reserve one extra seat. And what's mm-hmm. great about that is it promotes a lot of interaction and not seat saving at mm-hmm. the various tables. And so it gets people to kind of meet each other in ways that they might not already have done so. So there were, again, some lessons that I learned in terms of promoting better community at a civil or roundtable meeting. And yeah, we hope to do that, Jerry. Uh, you mentioned our last Civil War Roundtable Congress. We have mm-hmm. our next one coming up in August of 2018, and we're really excited about that one, which is going to be in partnership with the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Wonderful. The um, yeah, Your mention of the Goodwill uh, Industries partnership with the Augusta Table uh, is absolutely uh, an admirable uh, effort to, as you say, to bring together two nonprofits uh, for mutual benefit, it's uh, just a great idea, and and really, when other groups could can learn from. Now, let me ask, ask a, a, a hard question: the idea of these roundtables, as you say, is to debate and discuss. And when the discussion is, should Sickles have advanced Third Corps at Gettysburg? You know, what would have happened if Stonewall Jackson hadn't been killed at Chancellorsville? We can argue about that all night, and everybody's an expert. And we have a good time doing that. Uh, but in the past year, especially, we've seen some Civil War-related topics come up where people's disagreements are not just uh, academic or pedantic or antiquarian, but be, can become heatedly political. Uh, the Raleigh Roundtable, whose newsletter I get here in North Carolina, uh, recently pointed out they made a corporate decision not to take a stand on the issue of the monuments on the Capitol grounds in Raleigh, uh, which memorialized the Confederacy quite heavily in comparison to the rest of the state's history, and thus uh, caused a lot of people to feel that that other parts of the state's history are underrepresented and that the Confederacy gets the lion's share and that, that that's inappropriate, not to discuss the issue itself, but 
the round a round table can come to pieces over an issue like that, can it not? It absolutely can, Jerry. And I'll tell you, that's why for us, um, you know, I think it's important roundtables focus on their role, which is education. And so, um, again, when we held our conference at the Congress last year, the, the question came up among the planners, how would we mm-hmm. handle the statue debate? And we made it clear that our purpose here is to talk to roundtables about the way they run roundtables and that we weren't going to engage in a debate or discussion as relevant as it is to the American Civil War. But that wasn't the place for this to to happen. And I think for roundtables, it could be a very divisive subject should they get into it. And my advice to roundtables would be to continue on their mission of discussing and educating about the American Civil War. Well, let me push back on that, though. That isn't, is education not a central part of the debate that, that could, could a successful roundtable have people uh, do things like present the history of a local monument? Here's when it was built, here, was, here were the speeches given on its behalf, when it was dedicated, here was the context in which it was dedicated, here was the actual unit or person that it commemorates uh, as well, here's how it was, it was the scene of a rally in the 1950s or the 1970s, here's the whole history of the monument, so it, it's fully an educational uh, effort in that sense. Could people, would it not be ideal if we could muster the goodwill for people at the end of that meeting to say, I know more about that monument than I knew before. I still think it absolutely belongs on the town square. And the neighbor say, I absolutely think it belongs in a museum now, no longer on the town square. I disagree with you, but we're still friends and comrades in the Civil War roundtable, just as we disagree about whether Sickles should have advanced Third Corps. (laughs) Could could that not be the ideal state to get to? I ideally it would be, but we know that you know as we have in our society, uh, you know, there's open debate, and these are certainly very emotional issues too. Rightfully, people feel very mm-hmm. strongly about them, and so the you know the scenario, the ideal scenario that you laid out is you know again an ideal scenario, but mm-hmm. I think for roundtables that you know many of whom many of whom are barely, uh, you know, equipped to, um, you know, re- retain members and, and improve their finances and so on, may find themselves overwhelmed with the, you know, emotional aspects of that and may find themselves doing themselves more harm than good in that effort. Well, it, it's, a, it's a tough call. There, I, I think there's also the risk of marginalizing of, of you know, we who study the Civil War can easily be stereotyped by people outside the field as a bunch of, uh, I'll describe myself, aging, overweight, balding, white guys who are fascinated by sickles at Gettysburg, uh, nothing that has anything to do with the modern world. And if, if we make it a point that we're not going to discuss the Civil War in the modern world, don't we risk reinforcing that stereotype that it's just a hobby. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, but you know what? And you mentioned inclusivity before. I think that's where roundtables can do a great job of, like mm-hmm. the Brunswick Civil War roundtable, talking about how 
the Civil War was an American experience, and it wasn't mm-hmm. just one demographic that was involved in it, but mm-hmm. that it affected everyone, and everyone, uh, men and women, and people of all races were greatly impacted, and they themselves impacted the war itself and the outcomes of it. And I think that's an opportunity for roundtables like Brunswick that said, listen, let's talk about women in the war and the role they had, and help mm-hmm to expand the interest in that period of history by, by using that educational process. I, I could not agree more. I think that's, I, I, and now I'm being maybe absurdly idealistic, but this might be the thin end of the wedge where people could actually look at someone on the, uh, across the table who they've known for 15 years through the roundtable movement and they respect each other's civil war knowledge and uh, historical interest and desire to see people educated and yet have different views on the monument issue and not let that wipe out 15 years of comradeship and be able to say, okay, you're on the opposite side of this issue I'm very hot about, but I know you're a good guy. So therefore... I'm going to calm down a little and recognize people of goodwill can be on the other side of this issue. Oh, uh, Jerry, should all our debates be that way? I agree. That would be <laughs> the ideal. I, I, I hope, you know, if Civil War study could be one, one tiny wedge into that, it would be an improvement for society as a whole. Um, let's close with a question about the future. Uh, does the Internet, uh, the, the increasing use of social media – portend the end of these face-to-face groupings? Can't we just all Skype together? Jerry, uh, (laughs) maybe I'm a traditionalist in that sense. I think there Uh, will always be a need and a desire for people to get together in person. And even though I may be able to see you on a a Skype or a computer, uh, I think being able to shake your hand, being able to look you in the eye face-to-face, maybe to to share a, a meal are important things that we engage with. And I think that's why also uh, as we wrap up our time together to share that that's the reason for the second Civil War Congress. We're going to be doing it eight, uh, August 17, 18, and 19th. We're going to be working on that with the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg. We've got some great speakers lined up. Again, topics such as social media and the use of social media for roundtables, talking about finances and governance. And the great thing about being hosted by Wayne Motts and the National Civil War Museum is for those who are interested, there will be private tours of the collection on Friday night. On Mm -hmm. Saturday, there will be a day long of networking. And Sunday, we're going to cap it off with a Wayne Motts-led tour of the first day at Gettysburg. So that need to bring people together to let them share a meal, to share their experience, I think will always be there, not only online, as you mentioned, with social media, but I think in person. And so, again, if I may, people can go to the Puget Sound Civil War Roundtable website to learn more information about that Civil War Roundtable Congress. Last year, we had people come to Virginia from as far away as California, and we hope that we'll see uh, even more come to do so in Harrisburg. And and what's the address of Puget Sound? Do you have that in front of you? P-S-C-W-R-T dot org. P-S-C-W-R-T dot org. And under there, 
you'll find information about the 2018 Congress, as we're calling it. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity. Listeners, look it up. Go to it. Uh, go to your local Civil War roundtable. Uh, if you don't have one, start one up. Uh, read Matt's book and find out what mistakes not to make and uh, keep the movement alive. We're out of time. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Jerry, you do a great job. Thank you for all you do for the Civil War community. And listeners, as always, who are the Civil War community, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.